From PRN, this is Alana Castro-Gilliard. On today's episode, Dr. Jeff Cashman discusses the finesse behind a successful CV and ARIS application. This episode is helpful for medical students in any year, but especially for those applying to residency during this cycle. I am Dr. Jeff Cashman. I am a family medicine trained physician, a DO. I went to PCOM in Georgia, their Georgia campus, and went to residency at AMMED Health in Anderson, South Carolina. In between undergrad, where I, I have an industrial engineering uh, degree from Clemson, I went and had a, or obtained a master's degree in epidemiology from MUSC. So been in a little bit of the academic world for a while. I practice inpatient and outpatient medicine and family medicine here in Spartanburg for several years before coming over as the family medicine chair. In my role as the family medicine chair, I really loved the advising portion, talking to the students about residency. Um, when I was teaching before moving over to VCOM, we, I always had a day that we would go to a meeting in Columbia. And that time was always my, let's talk about residency. Let's talk about what you're going to do to get into residency. So it's something that was always on my mind because it's such a, a challenging time in, in your life. You have this huge application process to medical school and you think, great, I'm a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. It's done. But no, there's this other huge application process that comes up a little bit later. Um, so that was a, it was a nice fit when the opportunity opened up for um, me to become the associate dean for OMS4 and graduate medical education at VCOM. And so I, I've loved the role. I've loved the advising part. We've um, worked to try to have very individualized advising. I think advising almost has to be individualized because there's so many factors that come in to play. And so I've tried to work with counterparts, Dr. Callahan, especially on the Virginia campus with a lot of the advising that was done previously and how do, how do we mold it to, to do what's best for students. Um, and through that, talking about the application becomes such a big factor. It's the application, the interviewing, and then all the strategy that goes into advising. Um, so that's a lot of my background. I've done it, met with every student for the last four years, I believe now, three, four years, um, to talk about their plan at least one time. And then we call, talk, have meetings, I had a meeting just right before this um, with a student just going over, uh, actually interesting enough, going over CV in the ARIS application and, and just reviewing it and, and answering questions. So I think it's, I think it's a lot of fun. Well, I know over at the Virginia campus, when I receive your curbside cashman emails, I'm always looking forward to getting the best tips and things that we can do to put our best foot forward for ARIS and our CVs and our future because we've been putting a lot of years into it. Um, so really excited to have you to speak with us on specifically CVs and ARIS. Um, you mentioned to me before we started that you have some general tips on CVs that you want to share. So why don't we kick off with that? Great. Thank you. So um, I guess the biggest tip that I have is that there's no one right way to do it. I think that we, we often want to hear this is exactly what it is. You can put information in a, in a box and that's the right way. And I'd love to offer that because it makes our lives a little bit easier. But um, a lot of it comes down to what's kind of aesthetically pleasing to when you look at it. And I, a great example or the example that I think of is dates. And a lot of people will write dates on the left side of the paper. So normally we read from left to right. And so we think, um, well, I'm going to see the date first. So I know what was happening then and you put the information. But when I think about that, I think about how much you have to jumble all the information that you're trying to um, portray on about two thirds of the paper because you, you don't have a lot of space on the left side because you put the dates there. So you will hear a lot of different advice. And I always say, look, that advice might be correct. And so much of it is what you think makes it look right. 
I think there's some tips that we're going to talk about today that I think are the best way to do it from having reviewed multiple hundreds uh, you know, of, of CVs each year. Um, but when you are asking for advice, understand that you might get conflicting opinions. And, and we do understand that that's frustrating. Um, however, when it's an opinion about content, I think that's one that tends to be one that's a little more straightforward and, and you should listen to when there's an opinion about content. When there's an opinion about formatting, and the way things look, um, that's where I think there's a little more gray area. Great. So that actually leads perfectly into my first question for you is content-wise. Wording is an important factor when you're framing and describing activities. What do you think is the best way to frame what we're doing in our activities? And why do you think that that is the best way? Yeah, great. Um, so I'll start off by saying how I use a CV. When I'm reviewing a CV for most interviews, and, and I think this is very similar for program directors who may review hundreds of CVs in a day, maybe 50 to 100 CVs in a day, I'm going to go through it very swiftly. So I'm trying to get big picture things. If I look through and um, I, I see something, and this gets a little bit into formatting and what words you choose, if you think you have it written down that you participate in sports physicals and you write sports physicals at um, you know, Virginia Tech. I don't really need to get a lot of information about what that is. You know, I have a pretty good idea of what you did at that point as, as a physician. But I don't want you to have no descriptor under it. So I think having in there assisted a physician with sports physicals is a nice thing because it keeps the format with each one. But if you have something on there that says like, and I'm kind of making this up, DRQAM manager, I have no idea what that means, especially because I just made it up. But I have no idea what it means. So those descriptors are going to be a little bit more important to explain why that's a valuable activity towards your application for residency. The other thing is, is even going to the sports physicals, we think about the action verbs. And that's an important factor is to have a list of action verbs and not try to repeat them over and over. If you say assisted with this, assisted with that, assisted with that. All right. It just gets a little bit boring to read through. And you don't want the reader to start skimming. I mean, you want to try to keep their attention. That's a big factor. So. There are some that I think have a little more weight than others. And most residency program directors want to see teamwork. They want to see leadership. And those are the things that often stand out. So collaborated with instead of assisted. Um, uh, led, developed. You know, some of those words that really show that you took on the onus of that, of that um, event, I think, can help um, make it stand out. And then the, the last little factor that I have that's a tough one to explain in writing, and so hopefully I'll do a decent job of explaining it here, is you have a very nice CV that you, you can print out and you can offer it during an interview. You're going to use it for credentialing and when, when you're uh, a practicing physician. And you want that to look very nice. You have some control over the structure. And I think bullet points look very, very nice. The way ARIS has their standardized format in, in their CV, the, the, the way a bullet looks in, under those descriptors, it just oftentimes, and again, it's an aesthetic thing, it's not an absolute right or wrong, but oftentimes it just doesn't look quite as nice as it does on like a Word document or PDF of a CV. So there are times that I think having a sentence, a full sentence with the subject and verb instead of just the phrase starting with the action verb, I think sometimes that actually looks a little bit better. I assisted a group or I collaborated with a group to do this. And what I, but I do think there are one kind of right and wrong thing, and I know someone may argue with me, but I, I do think there is a right and wrong. When someone will write a paragraph about a, 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 um, 
a, a topic or an activity that they did. And so it's three or four sentences, all almost looking like paragraph form. I can tell you, for the most part, unless it's something that just is standing out for something being very different, someone's skipping over that just because it's you're reading into a paragraph. So try to keep it concise. Try to really think about what the most important things are. And oftentimes less is more in, in your descriptions. So if you can convey what it is with, with very few words, someone's going to get the idea and want to keep reading and moving on. But if it's just listed over and over um, or a lot of information over and over, someone's going to start kind of flipping through a lot faster. Right. So to prevent people from flipping through and also, again, putting your best foot forward, can you help us differentiate what activities we should include on ARIS applications or CVs that took place either during medical school or even prior to medical school? Because I think that's something that sometimes we struggle with um, from what yeah. should not be included. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that's one also that there's, of course, you can have some different answers, but I think there's some major tips. When you think about this application, you want to highlight why you uh, what make, helps you stand out versus someone else. Um, it's particularly special if it's in the medical field, but it doesn't always have to be. We, we in the applications for medical school, when someone has been a an athlete at the Division One through three level, someone that's at a college level athletic athletics, we often think, "Gosh, time commitment." They had to balance a lot of different things along with their academics. So that's not medically related. However, it's something that, that can hold value because you're having to balance or juggle many different activities. I think that if it's something prior to medical school, if it's, if you, if it's something significantly medically based, shadowing a doctor prior to medical school, it, it, you think about how is that going to make me stand out? Well, probably every single one of your classmates shadowed a physician prior to going to medical school. That's not helping you stand out at all. Even if it's in the field you want to go into, well, you also had your clinical rotations that you worked with someone in that field. So it just takes the shadowing experience and, and really drops it down. Um, research in undergrad, especially with something in the medical field. Well, heck, that, you know, that's a wonderful one. I think I really think almost any research because of the process of going through research, almost any research is something to keep uh, going through. I will have students that have an honors and awards section and they'll put graduated with honors from college or they'll put. Uh, recipient of a, an academic scholarship in college. And my take, and in different opinions, but my take is um, just about every student who's in medical school was a standout student. And so just about all of them have graduated with honors. Just about all of them at least have the level of, of being able to earn a scholarship. Maybe there's different levels of scholarships and, and prestige, I suppose. But um, most all of them had. So to see a, a college scholarship, if you list a couple of college scholarships and you list graduating with honors or list being on the dean's list in your honors and awards section, it doesn't take long for me to start to think, eh, they're putting in a little bit of, you know, what I always say, fluff, you know, putting some things in that maybe don't carry a lot of weight. And it's by no means that those things are bad. I always suggest putting with honors when you list your school and putting graduating cum laude or summa cum laude or with honors at that point. Um, but things like dean's list, I just think are um, factors that, it's that balance, that fine line between all of a sudden now you're starting to get like a little bit too much information. Um, I have students who take off wonderful activities because they think they're not medically related. So ones who, uh, a student who played in the local orchestra while in medical school. Um, a student, again, I'm thinking about the arts right now, but someone who acted in a play recently um, in, in, in medical school. And I think, my gosh, that's great. Again, it's the balance. It's, it's that other aspect of your life. And I think it's really neat 
activities, coaching sports. We'll have students who coach local high school sports. And I think those are things that are outside of medical things that have done in, in medical school shows there's this um, ability to balance different things and this, this um, vision kind of outside of um, medical school. So, um, of course, medical experiences are great. And, and I think free clinic volunteering is always something nice to have a little bit of that. Um, and hopefully in your, in your club activities, most students have that. So I think having those in are, are nice. Um, you just don't need 30 volunteer experiences. It, it, the, the reader's going to start flipping through. Just to jump off one of the points that you were talking about before, you know, the, the arts and things like that. Um, what is the best way to present that on ARIS? Because are, like, are you supposed to have it under your work experience or volunteer experience? How do you put that in there so that you show your personality and the things that you love to do? Because at least in my opinion, that's how you show that you can connect with people. And that's it seems like residency programs want to know that you would be a good fit with their mix of people and that you would enjoy spending time together when you're there for 80 hours a week, potentially. Well, and it is in, in an interview so much of and it's tough to really convey this when we know that you've done the work, we think you can do the work. Who do we want to spend three to five years with? Who do we want to, you know, when it's two o'clock in the morning and we're in the call room and, you know, someone's going like, who, who do we want to just be hanging out with? And, and that's what a lot of this is, is you want to try to convey you're the kind of person that has, is altruistic and you're, you're there for you know, that, the right reasons. Um, so, you know, I think that volunteer experience is often where I would, where I would put it. Um, it, it you could balance if, if you're coaching, possibly would it fit into work experience, even though, you know, people say, well, if you're being paid, if you aren't, what makes a volunteer? I think they can fit there. There are times that it just doesn't seem like it fits. And I think there's also a, a benefit to having a section in the personal statement where you might discuss it and, and tie it into the field that you want to go into. Um, coaching for OBGYN. All right. Well, I know a lot of the role of an OBGYN, or I, I would foresee in my life as an OBGYN that I want to help coach my patients along the process of, of um, you know, pregnancy and, and delivery. Uh, very similarly, I had the opportunity to coach local high school children, and I realized that when you can give hands-on or give individualized teaching, that helps. So you can tie it into the personal statement if you need to. However, I think there's, I think volunteer opportunities is perfectly fine. There's not a screener, um, and I, I guess I shouldn't, it's tough to say this, you know, you don't want to take too much advantage of it, but there's not really a, a, a screener of verification in the um, ARIS process. So you put something in work experience that maybe it's not truly work experience. It's going to show up and it's going to be there. Now, someone's going to look at it and they might question it. So there, there's a challenge and we don't want to do it too much. But um, you, you can, if you're not real sure where to fit it in, I often will say fit it in. You know, get it in there somewhere. Even if it seems a little bit awkward for you to be have it in that one place, put it in there. And then I guess the last thing I'd say is there is the hobby section hobbies and interests. And um, I think that the hobby section is an interesting one. I loved the hobby section when I was interviewing because I wanted to go there to break the ice. So oh, you like to fly fish or, Oh, you like to you know, sing in the choir. Um, tell me more about that. And it's one where I think less information is great because if you put on there, um, let me think, you know, I love to sing in the choir. It's the uh, church choir at, at, First Baptist Church, and we I sing every Sunday, but also have practices every Wednesday. I don't have a lot to ask you anymore. And, and so it, it's it's not much of an icebreaker when I can read it all. Um, and so I think for the hobbies, it's one where you want to leave it pretty short so it can be an icebreaker and can be used to start a conversation. So 
So uh, leave a little mystery for people to explore. (laughs) Um, So going off another thing that you were mentioning with volunteering, you don't want to overwhelm. As medical students, we don't really always get the opportunity to do consistent volunteering experiences at one place. A lot of the time, it's just what is available for us to go help at a food pantry on a random Friday or things like that, different smaller events. How should we portray that on our applications in an impactful way without overdoing it or being overpowering um, and submitting every single one work experience or things like that? Yes. Uh, one, one, it's a wonderful question. Um, and it's such a, a bit of a kind of get a gestalt that there's also it's, it's very subjective. Um, I, I think free clinics is one that I will kind of go over. So and, and this is a little bit more Carolina's campus specific. We have the opportunity at one St. Matt's, St. Luke's, Gaffney, Middle Tiger, um, and I'm sure there's one other I'm not thinking about. But so let's say four or five free clinics. If you list one right after the other, St. Matt's, free clinic, Gaffney, free clinic, Middle Tiger, free clinic, St. Luke's, free clinic. I'm going to start reading and thinking like, okay, you, you did a lot of free clinics. I get it. But if you have a couple of them, it's nice to show, okay, you, you did some volunteer work at a couple different places, but you list five of them. And each one says assisted physician with getting, obtaining vitals or assisted with that. And they're all somewhat repetitive. They don't seem different. They don't seem new. So you can be creative in using the action verbs. You might say assisted in one, collaborated in the other, documented in the third. You know, where you can have it a little different, that can help. Um, but I will start to look at it and think, okay, you listed five preclinics. Then all of a sudden you listed five different schools where you did sports physicals. When you're starting to get to you're filling up a whole page, one whole page is all the listing of almost the exact same thing at a different place. I'm going to start skimming and starting to think, all right, you're just putting a little bit of fluff on. So what's the right number? I mean, I think that's the, the, the magic question. What's the right number? And I think having two is, is a nice number, maybe three, depending on how many other activities you have. But if it's the same activity and you've done it three times, I would consider having the title of it, free clinic participation and then under it uh participated at St. Luke, St. Matt's, Gaffney and then list them out there and so if I'm looking quickly and all of a sudden I see free clinic participation I kind of wonder where and all of a sudden you see like five of them listed that's going to mean a lot more to me so wow gosh you did a lot of free clinic activity as opposed to when it's listed five times in a row I might start thinking all right we get it you know you're trying to make this application look a little bit more and and I think anyone listening is going to say, well, yeah, but how do, how do we know what the person's going to believe? And and I, I wish I had an answer for you. It is very subjective. Um, so I can go on what I my experience is, and then hearing also when we talk about applications and in in, uh, in committees um, that, that I think it, it there is there's that fine line, but there is a time where you look over it and say, gosh, that seems to be a lot. And that's where having someone who is a physician review it who's done, been in the process, not just someone who is, you know, practicing physicians, sure, have them review it, but also someone who has is, is worked in a residency program or at a medical school, something who's reviewed enough to where they've seen enough that they start seeing the, the common, um, what's common in, in applications. Um, having someone who understands grammar and understands the formatting, great, have them review as well. But having a physician who is in practice um, or in practice of reviewing applications, but also probably in practice. But anyway, having a physician review it, that's where there can be a lot of value. Yeah. So um, speaking of reviewing things, 
For many students, the personal statement is maybe the most daunting part of the application um, and very stressful as well. Um, yeah. So when we're reviewing these, who is the right person for us to ask yeah. to review a personal statement or other aspects of our um, application? That's a great question. I love I love that question. And it's one of the things I love talking about are personal statements because it's really the one where in my mind, and, and I might be wrong other than the length, I guess, there really are no rules. And this is a time for you to talk about who you are. And I think there are guides and there are tips and there are suggestions. Um, but it, it's this blank space of you kind of tell me about yourself and why um, you should be here. And I, I see a few common mistakes that I want to touch on, or at least things that I see that I, I suggest, and then some things that I have as tips. But one of the common mistakes are students will often write this convincing paragraph or two paragraphs about wanting to be in medicine. Or they'll write, if it's pediatrics, I, I, I really want to be in pediatrics. I really want to convince you I want to be in pediatrics. Well, you hit send on the application to a pediatric residency. You got to convince them with hitting send on that application you want to be in pediatrics. So I don't think there needs to be these really deep convincing, this is the only thing I could ever do in my life is this, because they know you want to do it. So focus it a little bit more on why does it fit for your personality? The why do you... you um, not just convincing, you're already convinced. So why is it that you want to do that? And that's, that's a little different. There's some subtle differences between just wanting to do it and why do you want to do it? I always want students pretty early on, the first paragraph, be upfront. Yeah, I'm writing this because I want to go in, you know, the, something about the field you want to go into right off the bat. Don't have this mystery of all, you know, some wonderfully written mystery. And then all of a sudden it's because it's pediatrics. Well, they knew it was because they're a pediatrician reading this. And that brings me to the second point is I often have students who think, well, why, why is it pediatrics? You know, why do I like pediatrics? And they start thinking, okay, well, and they're typing it in and they say, well, pediatricians are great because they have the opportunity to be the introduction of medicine to these children. Pediatricians are great because they have the ability to do this. And I think the person reading it's a pediatrician, so she or he knows what they do. But if you were to just tweak the way you say that and say, I want to be the physician who is the introduction to medicine. Uh, to this patient population. I want to be the physician who's able to do this. It takes the same statement, the same thing, but it changes the focus of the reading of it. So instead of you just listing what's things that the a pediatrician does or someone in that field, you're taking all those wonderful things and you're picking out the parts of those wonderful things that really resonate with you. I want to be the doctor who's going to do this. Now, that tends to be a pediatrician you know, and they'll understand that. So always read it in the perspective of someone who knows a lot about the field and who is, who's reading it is going to be someone who's in that field. And so make sure you're not just telling them something that they already know because it's kind of wasted space. And similar to the CV, you don't want them skimming over things or starting to read fast. The other, other tips I've given on CVs, um, having read hundreds of them over the years um, and each year, I think um, a patient case, if I see on there... Um, oh, I had this wonderful, wonderful case where a patient came in with an AST of you know, 1,500 ALT of this. I, whenever I see that and I see numbers, I'm skimming. Um, and, and for the most part, the program directors have kind of seen it all. They're wild out there cases, they've sort of seen it all. And so it's, it's tough to really impress somebody. As amazing as that case may be, in written word, it's very tough to impress somebody. Um, the other one that's a really sticky one that I think I, I try to take some caution in advising is Personal or family health situations, um, it's not that they can't be really valuable. It's not that they can't be done well. 
It's just that I see them a lot. And the one that I give a hard time to are my orthopedic surgeon friends and, and applicants. I can tell you if I read an orthopedic surgery personal statement, within the first paragraph, I'm going to hear about their knee injury that they had in college or their shoulder injury they had when they were doing something. And, and it's going to be in there. I just know it's going to be in there. So although that might be the reason they chose the field, and that's certainly an important thing, if I read 10 of those as a program director and eight of them or nine of them have that in there, it just doesn't stand out. And so you want to try to have something that's going to stand out a little bit. Now, yeah, I, I look back at one point and I'm embarrassed to say, you know, I found my personal statement and it was something, I think it was the one from medical school and it was like, bang, was the noise running through the doorway and all this stuff. Like, all right, you, know, you don't have to be dramatic. You know, that, that it can be a little bit uh, over the top and cliched with that, but just something, it doesn't have to be wonderfully dramatic, something that is just a little different and stand, and stand out. So that's a really, really rambling way to come back to answer your question. Um, having a physician read it, I think is important because they're going to have that perspective of, okay, we already know that's what pediatrician does. We already know that's what a doctor in that field does. But they, as much as we like to think we're wonderful dramatically or other things, we, we probably are not. Um, and, and so having someone, if you have a friend who's an English major, really wonderful in grammar or a family member, have them read over it for that. I, I have had the story of a program director who said, I will go through it with a red pen. And if there's more than five errors, I'm done. I'm, I'm just taking the whole application off because it's a sign they didn't take the time to go through all of this. And that's a bad sign for them when they're going to take care of patients. So it is important to make sure you do have things grammatically correct. And I know people are sick of me whenever I'm going through it to talk about ending sentences and prepositions. And in my office, you can't see it because it's a podcast, but I have a list of all the prepositions on my, uh, you know, next to me to be like, that's ending in a preposition. And so little things that I know, some people will, will actually ding an application for, for something as simple as that. You think, but I can still be a great physician. Why does that matter? And, and some of them believe it matters because of attention to detail. So I think you got to have someone who can handle that part of it and someone also who's going to read it from more of a medical aspect. I feel like a lot of different people writing personal statements probably felt called out by some of the, <laughs> the boo-boos. That yes. you yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I'll, I'll tell them I'm sorry for, for saying that. Um, yeah. It's not that it can't be done right. No, just, absolutely. Um, <laughs> those orthopedic surgery perspectives all <laughs> rewriting <laughs> their statements right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, my, um, yeah. so specifically for this year, there's a new introduction of the supplemental application for a few fields, dermatology, IM, general surgery, what advice do you have for those applicants that are completing this new supplemental application and what guidance do you have for them? Yeah. Well, that's great. That's a great question because it is something that's new. And, and I'll say it's interesting. Uh, knowing some people who work at ARIS and having some meetings, they understand that the ARIS application hasn't been updated in a really long time, in years. And so they understand the applicants now, the things that people focus on for applications is different than what it was 30 years or so ago when they first developed that application. So they're always updating. And one thing that's nice is they've updated some for osteopathic students where you don't have to go in and say, my school doesn't have an AOA group. Um, you know, the Honor Society, we have Sigma Sigma Phi. Well, once you put in that it's you're an osteopathic student in your school, it automatically changes that, which is a nice change for, for DO students that, that they've made. And in that process, they certainly understand that they, they're going to work on updating their application. So they have... Um, you know, great ideas about things that programs want to see. So if a program says this is over and over, this is what we want to see, they're trying to adapt the application to try to help with what's the best thing and most efficient way for programs to see it. And so one example is 
we talked about the experiences and how many experiences you can put in there. Well, at one point they put in like a character count. Well, people are going to be real creative about fitting a bunch of experiences in there. And they said, well, how many of those are that important? So one part of the supplemental application is they say just you can only put five. So you just have to pick what are your five best experiences and describe those. So those are some of the things that I think are, are nice. I can also argue I don't like that because what if you have someone who maybe was a non-traditional student who worked multiple jobs and did different things that want to get those experiences out to show to stand out for that. So there are there, there's some good and bad that are going to come with this. Um, I think the biggest thing, and again, you mentioned it, and I want to reiterate it. This is for general surgery, for dermatology, for internal medicine, and also, interestingly enough, for preliminary internal medicine, not transition year, but preliminary internal medicine. So um, only in those fields. So if you're listening to this and you're applying to pediatrics, OBGYN, or family, yeah, don't think you have to do this. There's a section on preference signaling. And ARIS says you should not send, and what preference signaling is, my understanding in very simple terms is say, hey, I really like you. The program, I really like you. Um, ARIS says you should not do that to places that are your home program or ones that you've done in away rotation. And I think, well, why wouldn't? You know, if that's really your top program, what, what are they going to think? There's some students who are going to do it. So I have different advice. I, I just think, gosh, I want to protect and do what's best for my students. I'd advise them. Look, I, I know they may tell the programs that, but if that's your top program, you need to tell them you're, that's your top program. So I have advice that's different than what Eris would say about their own supplemental application. Um, and, and I think that it's my guess is this is a move. They're going to take some of the good things out of it. And it's a move to how they're going to end up updating Eris overall for all applicants. So just kind of keeping an eye on it, you know, on our end of it, we try to see what, what things might be different. Um, so I think having the updates are, are going to be a good thing. I think having um, the preference signaling part, just doing your top five is the other major suggestion. And the location thing is really tough. If you have a location, I think it's fine to offer that you have a location preference. If you don't, um, I don't know how much programs are going are to use the location part of it. And I believe general surgery doesn't even use the location at all. They've already said they're not using that. So um, not, a major, not a major factor for those. Did that answer your question? I forgot. Yeah, this was general tips for the supplemental application. Um, I do want to step back a few years now. Let's pretend I am a first year medical student um, and I come to you and I say, I want to put, you know, do the best things that I need to do so that when my fourth year comes around, I can match. What do you think in the first few years of medical students we can do to prepare to make the ERAS process go more smoothly as it is? overwhelming for yeah. a lot of it that's a great question and i imagine if we wouldn't we have to pay you a lot of money to try to go back and restart your first year because <laughs> third and fourth year is so, a so whole much lot of money <laughs> so much money i couldn't yeah. even put a number on it <laughs> <laughs> um so what's, what's fascinating is and i'm doing it now the advice i offer to first and second year students uh, as of this day versus last year and years in the past is so much different because the level one is going past fail. Before, I hate to say it, when you had a field you really wanted to go into, this competitive field, board scores mattered a lot. And so, you know, it's something you just had to focus on. Now that it's going to be a P or it's going to be an F, um, the conversation just changes a little bit. And it's not that you don't, you obviously are wanting to learn as much as you can. And level two and step two scores, unfortunately, are going to be much um, more of a, a factor in the future unless they change that. Um, so then we, we do have to look at what are the other things you can start doing? And I, I think that 
things that I see, if you're in seven clubs, not really doing a whole lot with the clubs, you're just in seven clubs. Or if you're in two clubs and you hold a leadership role and you do a lot of activities in those two clubs, I'm going to value the two clubs with leadership role and, some act- and doing a lot of activities and just being a member of seven clubs. So having moving into some of those leadership roles, being something that you're in charge of and you have some ownership of, I think that's really valuable. Um, I think having um, research is going to be something that's nice and we think it's going to be something that's going to be more and more of a factor going forward. Um, I, I, yeah, th- that's going to be a challenge. I think there's going to be some programs, schools, that are going to put students' names on tons of papers and there's going to be this paper that has 50 names on it. And I think, well, is that really any value? I mean, did they really do anything? So I'm not, yeah, I don't know where that's going to end up landing, but it's probably going to be a factor. But you mentioned it and I want to reiterate it and harp on it. One of the biggest things is create a CV early on. I had a, a mentor years before medical school who said, you know, I had gotten a recognition for, it was something like, I don't know, assistant of the month or something like that. I don't know. But um, who said, you know what, you need to write that down. And I thought, all right, well, you know, I'm sure whenever I get to it, I'll, I'll end up doing it. I said, no, he said, you'll think all these things that you do that are great, these activities you do that you, you, know, you think are these monumental things, these really important things when you do a volunteer activity or you do a club uh, host affair at the school. You, you think you'll remember that. And you'll be amazed when you get really busy with other things, how quickly you forget it. And then you get to your fourth year and you're sitting down trying to create that CV and you're like, oh, I know in my first year I was busy. I know I did a bunch of stuff. What do I do? And you'll think about, oh yeah, I did a did a pediatrics fair. I remember that. I might have done two. I forgot if that was two or if the other one was in second year. And you just don't keep up with it. It's amazing how fast those things you'll forget. And I feel sort of like that old codger who's like, oh, you need to do this and remember to you know write thank you notes, which you should. Um, but anyway, I, I you know I think back to that advice is things that I wish we would all do. Write down those notes and write down. Um, keep a list. So keep a CV, start one, even if it's not in wonderful formatting, start it in the first year, list it. And then every few months or whenever there's an activity, get used to just clicking on it. Keep it on your desktop of your computer or something and click on it. Just type in what that activity was. You can go back later and, and give some details, but at least have it listed in there so you're not going to forget because you'd be amazed at how much um, you will forget those activities. Yeah, I'm sure that advice also applies in the future going forward for fourth year. So oh, yeah. if you're doing something in residency and you're going to apply to fellowship, might be good to write those things down as things are happening because you're definitely not going to remember what you did in residency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't get a lot of sleep and sleep's helpful for, for memory. And so, yes, 100%. Remember, you know, add those things in. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Um, have you at all received any feedback from students that didn't match or that so process about how they wish they would have presented themselves in Eris? Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful question. It's the, it's the million dollar question for me. When I have someone who's not successful in match, going back and trying to figure out what could have been done different. And, and, and it's so tough because when you can't talk to the program director and know exactly why it was that they didn't match, it's so challenging. So we review it over and over and over and over and try to come up with, well, what, what are some themes that may be there? And the challenge we have is we don't know what's in the letters of recommendations. There might be something that is just, um, you don't know. And, and we always talk to professors and, and attendings and say, if you don't want to, if you, if you don't feel comfortable writing a letter, a letter of recommendation that's good, tell the student. It's the best thing you can do for the students to tell the student. Um, but we have some that just write one and say, well, I think you might want to take the student, but possibly, you know, you might want to question that. 
oh my gosh, if they put that, I mean, an application is, is, is very, it's harmed. I'm not going to say it's totally done, but it's harmed. So those are the things we don't know. When we look into um, Eris and things that people will listen, Eris, um, there's no overriding trend. I think we've seen where someone just doesn't have any activities. And if you're someone who hasn't joined any clubs and hasn't done any activities, you're really focused. It's only school and only school and you don't want to get have any distractions. You've only done that. And you see you're getting into your second or third year. Reach out to an advisor. Reach out to the associate dean on your campus. If they have someone like, like myself on, the, on your campus. And just see what you can do because you need to get some things. And I've seen that with a couple of them where there was just – and there's when you start talking to the students, all the time, oh, no, I, I, did a, I did an outreach group. Well, why didn't, why didn't you have it in there? Um, and so that's where also having someone review it and say, gosh, you don't have anything in this section? Like, can't we – can't you work through th- something? And I think a lot of students are very modest and very humble and say, well, yeah, but that was a nice, you know, that volunteering is just for fun. That's just what I do. Like, I didn't think that's something I need to have in my CV. And we think, well, no, unfortunately, there's a little bit you need to portray. Um, <clears throat> we've had students who have put um, information, one I can think of, who put a um, listing of their blog. And in that, it was comical. It was humorous. But there was also ways that can be interpreted as being somewhat unprofessional. And I think um, that was that was one where I think it was a factor. I really think it was a factor. And, and, uh, and so I, I discussed social media before, and that can be a whole separate podcast. But um, you know, always be cautious about what you're putting on there because the interpretation of someone who is your friend and counterpart is going to be a lot different than someone who doesn't know you who might um, be in a, from a different generation. And so um, be cautious about adding some things in. Humor is always a major challenge. Um, humor is very much in the eye of the beholder and can be interpreted in many different ways. You're someone who's very gregarious and you like to use humor in your interactions. I mean, you, you're telling someone who you are by using humor. Um, however, there, it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways, especially when someone doesn't know you and there's not a lot of context in, in context in written word. So I won't say that that's something that's over, done over and over for people who haven't matched, but it is something I've seen that, that I'd say you have to be a little bit cautious about. Oh, absolutely. I've certainly read text messages or emails to have inflections of things that are not there. So I can imagine that could also happen <laughs> in our applications as well, it does. especially with humor, which requires a little bit more, more nuance. Um, yeah. Yes. Okay. So yes. my last question for you today is specifically for fourth years. Let's say we've turned yes. in our applications and everything is open to residencies now. And I know that I have a few select programs that I really am interested in. Is there anything that I can do to help me to stand out to those programs that I'm most interested in? Yes. And that's a wonderful question. It's a great question. It's a great topic. Um, And I'll be a little bit concise in it because I could talk about it for a while because there's different mindsets. Um, And and I'll use the term letter of intent. And, And there's this discussion about letters of intent. And I'll hear a lot of people in my advising role who says you should not use letters of intent. You're just law or, or filling up their inbox. They're, they're not going to read it. Then I'll hear program directors who say, gosh, you know, one of the things that really help us if someone sends a letter of intent. And, they, and so then we know they really want our program. And, and it's not across the board. I and mean, there's some that are like, just don't communicate with us. We're going to go through our process to review applications. And others who say, it's so important for us to know that that person's really interested. So, you know, in my mind, I, I kind of think they have an understanding that people are um, are stressed through this process because students are stressed through this process. And so I think if you're going to err on a side 
err on the side of, of sending some communication. And, and not for, if you apply to 50 programs, don't send 50 letters of intent. This needs to be ones that if they were to turn around and say, oh, that's wonderful, we want to offer you an interview, you're going to drop whatever you're doing in order to go over to that interview. Um, so I think it, it really only needs to be for a few. And there's many reasons for that. It's not like these programs are probably going to talk and say, oh, did you get a letter of intent from this person? Oh, my gosh, I did too. I, I don't think it's that. It's that you can only really truly show interest, even in emails, you can truly, only truly show interest to a certain few because it starts to come out. If you copy and paste an email and send the exact same email to 30 programs, that email is going to have to be pretty vague. And that program's going to read right through it. But it's just it's just a vague email that you're sending it, and they're going to delete it. But if it's something where you're reaching out to a program and say, um, you know, I'll think about my, the program I went to at InMed Health. I really would love to go to InMed Health because I got to um, work with Dr. Klein as the program director and the way he has run his program and developed it with this number of students and the number of, and the happiness of the um, applicants, the way they have a sports med clinic on Thursday afternoon is something that would really help me with procedures that I'm hoping to do in my practice later on. Get things that are really specific, then they know you're interested. If you just say, gosh, I'd love to go to the University of Louisville. Louisville seems like a great place, and I think I'd have a lot of fun. I really hope you're going to review my application. There's nothing specific about that. It has the word Louisville in it. I always think those Mad Libs, I don't know if anyone ever did those, where you put words in the boxes. It's like It reads sort of like that. Like You just took out Louisville, and you put in Shreveport, Louisiana, or something. It just doesn't mean a lot. But if you can be very specific, there are a lot of program directors who say, oh, my gosh, this person really wants to be here. And it's important for them. You, you think about that other perspective. And I'll kind of close on this um, for that question, at least. Um, it's important to them. that They're interviewing people. And they want people who are going to be good. And they want people who are going to want to be there. They have someone that shows up on the first day of orientation thinking, well, when do I get some time off so I can drive back home? That's, that's an awful start to the residency. And, and when we had new or, or new residents coming in, we knew in the first few days who were going to be the problems. And they didn't have any medical knowledge given at that time. And they haven't seen a patient yet at that time, but you kind of knew and, and it had to do with some of that personality of, of wanting to be there. So circling that back around, if you can show that interest, I think reaching out to a program in, in a, an email or written, I always think I'm a huge proponent of written word. And so you, you pull out a note and you write it, you know, and say, hey, I hope you have an opportunity to see my application. Definitely write handwritten thank you notes. I feel very strongly about that. Um, but you send some communication just expressing your true desire to be at that brief couple of programs. I think it can make a difference. Well, there's a lot of information in this podcast, and I'm very much looking forward to your next curbside cashman. But thank you for filming in a lot of what well, we haven't, you. you know had a chance to fully get information on. Um, and I really appreciate you having on the podcast today. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for inviting me. It, it kinda, I, I love talking about it. So thank you for all that you do. This podcast provides general information and discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. It is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice or the practice of medicine. The views expressed herein do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Edward via College of Osteopathic Medicine or any other institution or employer. For more PRN, please be on the lookout. If you like this episode, tell someone about it and start up a conversation. This is PRN.